0: Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey everybody, this is Pascal, another episode of Disrupt Disruption. I am super stoked uh, to have Lars Highland with me here. Lars is the chief learning officer at Totara Learning, uh, a learning management system a company and so much more. And I'm really excited because as you might have heard on earlier episodes of Disrupt Disruption, learning and reskilling, the future of work are all really relevant questions for the question of disruption and innovation. And we'll dig deep into this today with Lars. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to meet you here. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Lars, before we get into your area, your deep area of expertise, I'm just curious, kind of zoomed out. If you think about innovation and disruption, how do you even think about this? How do you define these terms in your world? How do you look at this? I think it's it's such a broad question, especially
1: in the, the times we live in right now. I mean, I think it's, I think previously the sense of, of change and disruption was something that didn't feel very visible to us. But I think the past period of time Pre-pandemic and then now we're seeing it very tangibly—you know—a rapid change, exponential change, of course. So disruption for me is where you're making um, quite a systemic change or difference to a particular area. So in my case, it's it's been looking at how technology can positively impact the learning experience in particular, or ultimately the performance of of people when they're at work or in an educational capacity as well, and the learning process itself has been remarkably um, unchanged actually when you think about it over many many decades even while we've had a rapid change and a disruptive change in our abilities to communicate like like we are now you don't need to go back too far Mm -hmm. to to a time where you know video calling anyone anywhere in the world and doing that you know, very very easily and for free was just not possible. Whereas how we learn and how we have structured that learning experience hasn't changed as much. So you can look into education patterns and how people sort of get together and and, and that learning experience, and how that then sets the standards really for how people then experience learning in the work. And there's a there's still a strong correlation, and yet there's an awful lot of problems with it. Because it doesn't necessarily work as, as well, given that fresh context, you know, where you've got a whole variety of variables, drivers to how people need to new, learn new skills um, or new behaviours. So disrupting that is still a huge challenge for us all, I think, in terms of doing that much more effectively. And it's exciting to see now, we're entering a period of time, I think, where the HR technology, human resources technology and learning technology spaces is, is really stepping up to the mark a bit more. I think we're really starting to grapple with some of those deeper issues around effective learning and, and effective behavior change for the better.
0: Let me stay into this uh, topic a little bit longer. I. We heard on the podcast many times, and it kind of came as a somewhat of a surprise to me, how participants in the podcast have stressed how incredibly important upskilling and reskilling of their workforce is. I, I think for many companies, it's a little bit of a checkbox as in, yes, of course we should do it because it's the obvious thing to do. But the stressing on like, no, you really have to do this. And you have to do it very specifically around the identified skills you need or you believe you need for your company in the future, Lars How do you even do that? Could you share some practical advice? Yeah,
1: it's a big challenge. And as I was just alluding to earlier, we sort of bring some patterns of behavior uh, that we've drawn from our school experiences or or educational experiences and then transplant them into the workplace. That isn't necessarily the right model for effective learning in, in the workplace. But when you look at the learning process itself, it's multimodal. We need to be stimulated most of our senses various times. We need really uh, an environment that is supportive of learning. So you need some you know, time, that's focused time to allocate to, to it. You need time to, to sort of reflect on, on what you've practiced. So again, practicing that in a real context is a really critical part of the effective learning experiences. So there's a number of steps, if you like, almost a framework of good design practice, which you can apply no matter what media you might use so you mentioned e-learning okay so you mentioned so most people when they think of e-learning unfortunately think of what i what are often called click next to continue e-learning modules which are typically covering compliance types uh, topics sort of topics that you have to do just to be what sort of, well, basically compliant in in the role that you are uh, operating in or the industry that you're operating in and yet you're not changing any real behaviours there. I've heard some plenty of stories of senior execs um, asking their PAs to complete their e-learning for them. And and so in that context, the wrong people, no real benefit is being derived there, right? So when you look at designing the learning to be effective, it needs to be embedded into your work practices, so much closer to the flow of what you're doing. That then means that the learning experience should be designed to be more blended And what I mean by that is, again, not just the different media, it does mean different media, so it can be video, it can be interactive pieces, it can be reading, it can be meeting people, having conversations, and it should be all of those things mixed together. That's what I mean by blended and and structured in a way that has a formal backbone to it that gives people direction. So the directed learning component, and then there's self-directed learning. So you, you're self-motivated, you have access to resources that are available to you that are relevant at the right time and place that you need them. So it's contextualized. So the skill, really, is in designing that. And it, it sounds complicated. I may have made it sound complicated. It doesn't have to be. It, it just needs to bear in mind that there's a framework, and, and I can you know share, share in some links uh, uh, around the podcast uh, around what that might look like. If you can do that, then you're far more likely to be designing an if a learning experience that will turn into the behavioural change that you're looking for,
0: and the productivity and the performance in your people at scale. If you can, taking one step back, what do you actually need to learn in the first place? So there's a component to this, which is how do you learn? And I think that needs a lot of unpacking, as we already did mm. a little. Um, but I think. Also, my assumption is a lot of innovation people, they're not very clear on what is it my people, my staff, my employees at my company actually need to learn. How do you go about figuring out what is it what I need to actually teach them?
1: Well, that's a good question. I mean, it comes to people who are. You know, their day job is about innovation and their day job is about thinking of fresh things, then it's valuable to look at the, the, the sort of behavioral background of those individuals. There, there'll be a natural tendency towards curiosity and exploration and looking for new ideas, connecting with either people, resources information sources and there'll be a natural typically there'll be a natural bias to towards that and that's a good thing especially in in changing times you need that fresh impetus into your organization but then you need also the means by which to translate those fresh ideas into actions and or processes or workflows that actually systemize the change into the organization and then scale out to others who who aren't defining the innovation but then have to operate that new way of working. To answer your question, I guess another way around is having a better picture of your people and the different skills mixes and the behaviours that they need in their role in the organisation, and they will be different, being able to diagnostically assess that, which you can do, and there's some good solutions with technology that can enable that, will then point you towards learning opportunities that will be most valuable to you as and personalised to you effectively. And so we can use smarter technology to do that. We can use um, adaptive techniques in the technology. We have that here at but built into our uh, talent experience platform that enables you to design a much more personalised flow of learning depending on what people already know, what they demonstrate they know, what other people think about what those people know. (laughs) So there's a number of inputs, right, that that come together to to help you uh, give... The, the best possible pathway of learning opportunities for them. So personalizing it is really important. I think also the other aspect of this is that we talk about learning as, as something which is typically exposure to content. And then after that, turning it into practice, but it's not like that. In fact, getting feedback, so practicing it and getting feedback and then having a feedback loop and an opportunity to reflect on your performance and then course correct get advice, and then continue from there, cycle around again. That iterative experience is actually how we learn effectively. It needs to be much more closely associated with organizations' other HR activities. Typically, and too often, I think, organisations have um, silos of learning and development, performance management, and also leadership initiatives, communications, collaborative, motivational sort of exercises that they do to try and get everybody pointing in the same direction on key goals. And they don't necessarily align. In fact, they very rarely align. As a result, if you're that individual at work, you are likely to be bombarded with a whole bunch of unstructured notifications typically flowing through that may be. Uh, undermining each other and often do so it creates noise and what do people do when they respond to noise they well they close off to it and that's the wrong outcomes that you're looking for that's an example where technology or not technology where people are not organizing the flow of communication in in a congruent way and as a result, you end up with dysfunctional outcomes. So bringing those three things together and making efforts to align them and being mindful of that, and taking some of that noise away, removing it is a far better way forward. So that's a mix of the learning and the performance and engagement activities that we do, but you almost need to treat that in almost like thinking of it as a storytelling cadence and start to use some of that thinking as well, when it applies to communication in the workplace.
0: If I were a leader in an organization and I were to come to you and say, Lars, help me figure this out, I need to turn my organization, which might be an incumbent organization, we know the world is changing around us. We know that there's work we need to do probably on our systems and our processes, but we also know that we need to do work on the learning side. Where do you start?
1: Well, I think it starts with conversations with your, your people. So you, you, your managers, you have a, an organizational structure. It obviously depends on the size and scale of your mm-hmm. your, your operation, obviously, but depending on the, the, you know, the level of technical support that you might need. But to get started, it's about having an open, meaningful conversations with individuals. What is it you want from them in there? Is it clear? Do you have clear goals uh, there? Is there an open and honest dialogue back which points to any skills gaps? development opportunities and that having a culture in place to encourage those gaps to be um, closed. So that's where the learning opportunities will arise. That will quite clearly tell you what you know, what types of solutions would uh, would best fit. And it could be, go and talk to an ex- you know, another colleague somewhere else that you haven't spoken to who has that knowledge and it's a conversation that would just move people on. Or it's a formal course, there's an external sort of input required. And that course can either be self-service online, mediated through the internet, as we are doing now, or it can be a physical thing. Once we're out and about more post-pandemic, that has a lot of value for the right types of learning intervention, if you see, if you like. So it's a, again, I come back to what I said earlier, it's, it's a blend of things and it could be little small things, little micro pieces interspersed with some larger, more directed pieces. But it starts with a conversation with each individual and being able to then map that into quickly, and this is where the technology can help, to map that quickly into a series of learning activities that you would then undertake over a period of time. And then it comes back to a conversation again to see how you've done and how you've progressed and what changes you've made. Because that creates the, the motivational cadence to work through that learning effectively and, and to start seeing the real differences in the everyday work performance.
0: You are the benefit of working with you know, many clients across industries, across sectors. I'm curious, is there a set of skills, insights, knowledge you find is common as in we need to upskill our people to do the following things. If I look at this from a company's perspective, is there a common set of future-proofing skills you find?
1: Absolutely. Well, I would point to quite an important report from the, the World Economic Forum that was published back in October 2020, and that put out a, a, a clarion call saying, that we, you know, we have a real skills chasm coming ahead of us in the next decade. Um, they estimate around a, a billion people, it's probably more, Then that will need to change the skills mix that they currently have, if they're going to stay relevant in the workplace. Cause that's, so that's quite dramatic. What are those skills? Well, they list 10, they list 10 individual skills, but they're categorized and biased towards better understanding of using technology smartly. So I mean that differently to operating simple to use apps or apps that are designed to make it very easy for you to operate, but. A better understanding of data, how to apply that as well. There's a more sophisticated level of technology skill that's required by everyone. And that's not just in in the obvious sort of job roles that you'd expect. Everyone needs to be smarter about their understanding of manipulating data, consuming content and operating what will be, and working alongside technologies that are smart in their own right. So I think that's a key part of it. The other major category is in interpersonal communication and and talking with others and that in its own right, increasingly important because it's going to be making up a bigger proportion of the overall day job, you know, being able to communicate effectively, think creatively as well. So you talked earlier about those who are involved in innovation and disruption. Well, in a way that category is no longer going to be a small one. It's almost like the main one (laughs) that we're all going to be involved in constantly. So. All of those skills, all of those behaviors and that we and almost like, i was going to say personality types, but what I mean by that is growing the muscles of resilience, you know, to change and being able to cope with change more effectively, be more adaptable. And those are skills that you can improve and there are opportunities uh, available to, to do that. And so I think all of those areas are going to become much more front and center uh, in, in every job description, if you like, that people uh, will be there because that job description is not static anymore. Mm. I think that's the critical point here is whatever you're doing now, 12 months later, it's unlikely you'll be doing the same thing. It could even be six months and give it another five years. So things are moving at pace. And you therefore need to learn how to relearn and unlearn as well certain behaviors as on a constant basis. So this is continuous. It's a continuous process, not a not the old style sheep dip, abstracted, I'll go on a training course, come back, seemingly transformed. It never worked. And, and it, it really is not fit for purpose at all, the world that we're heading into.
0: Curious, just, I guess this is a personal opinion question, actually. How much do you think is this the role and responsibility of the employer versus the role and responsibility of the employee as in do we expect our employees to do a lot of that like work are we do we have a responsibility and should the main responsibility lie on the employer again i guess that's more of an opinion question but i'm curious how you're thinking about that
1: yeah i don't think it's an opinion question actually i I think it's always been the case someone has to be open to to learn something new in the old days you could say that paternal instinct of right you're going on these training courses or even education system as a whole if you think about it it's predicated on an assumption that if i expose you to a whole bunch of stuff that you'll come out and and your behaviors will change and in fact in many most cases that's not the case and especially isn't the case when you look at a lot of workplace training or traditional approaches to it the balance there is is the organization provides it but you've it, it's always been a collaborative thing, unspoken, and, and some people would have benefited because they brought their motivation to it, their intrinsic motivation to the training room or the learning resources that they're engaged with. And then a whole other bunch of people just go through the motions and don't change. Mm-hmm. So we need to be a bit smarter with this and recognize, as I said earlier, it starts with a conversation. you know. A, a proper open conversation with with those around you so typically your team lead whatever that is but it's if the culture is right then there will be the right conversations and Mm -hmm. and therefore the right learning gaps (laughs) will be addressed because then you are actually tapping into that intrinsic motivation more people will do the learning in good faith and and will also put their hand up when they're struggling or need support and the culture will be there to support them. If you don't have that then people go through the motions or drop out and you don't get the benefits. It's like a learning social contract almost if you like that it's it's balanced. You can't have one without the other really. So one thing that we do at, at Totara is give organizations the opportunity to expose where there is expertise that you don't know, like the hidden experts in, in an organization. So uh, this comes back to your question, which is yeah. the organization doesn't necessarily know everything that's going on in, in their organization and who's fixing which problems, right? So by surfacing what conversations are uh, or what problems are being solved, but they may be being done unilaterally, then you can spot expertise where you didn't know you had it. And then be able to, once you've spotted it, be able to then scale it out to a wider audience if, it, if it's of benefit. So that's where individuals in an organisation are actually showing away. They're already operating in self-learning and doing, getting things done. But maybe they're doing it in, in, in a unilateral way where the organisation would benefit from a broader approach.
0: As we're coming to the end of our conversation today, I want to go back to something you said at the very beginning when we talked about innovation and disruption. Where do you see disruption in your industry happening? What is the stuff you think will really change the landscape of learning, of executive education, of corporate learning? Where is that train heading to? Well,
1: I I think that is not one train. A train has a train track, right? And it it goes along a line. I think it's, it's not like that. I think the better model of thinking about this is that there's a multiple dimensions to how people support performance in the workplace and how... People stay motivated in their roles. And therefore, we haven't really discussed this, but from an organizational perspective, there's a real talent, a tug for talent going on. You know, people are moving jobs at unprecedented levels. And why are they doing that? They've experienced a pandemic, which has forced a lot of re evaluation of what's important to, to themselves, and they're making fresh decisions. And they've been abstracted out of the, the sort of office environment in the main or the workplace environment. and had a chance to rethink. And so that's changed the game, I think. I think people are now valuing things in different ways. So it comes back to, you can't just see this as a learning exercise of, I've got uh, a bunch of people with these skills and a bunch of people with these other skills. You've got two problems. One is there's a huge talent war for the people who've already got those skills. And then there's a very small pool. Uh, And the second thing is you need a a better way of retaining your existing people and helping them move towards those skills. That is a learning exercise, but it's, it's actually about the culture of your organization and thinking about how you communicate and collaborate and how those tools work. Because if that's clunky and full of friction, then people won't succeed in, in their jobs or in the learning that they're doing. And and the same is true with how you measure performance and the culture there. How do you do that? So I think bringing it all together and aligning that and integrating that, breaking down the silos is a key trend and it's one that is being seen in the technology tools that are being developed right now. I mean, we're one example of that, but there's plenty of others that are, attempting to, to sort of draw those strings together if you like in better ways that's disruptive because it forces a structural change in the organization and the technology that we have positively acts as a catalyst towards that i think it means that certainly larger organizations who we serve it's often challenging to break down those silos so having smarter tools or more integrated tools to enable that that align things and make things more congruent in the, that experience that you give people, that's the way forward. Because without it, people will leave their current roles. They'll go somewhere else where they can do that. Or organizations will just not adapt as quickly as they can or could to the future environment. And there's an exist- existential risk for them going forward. So, yeah,
0: interesting times. Interesting times, for sure. Let me ask one last question, because there's something which just came up for me, which is what I'm hearing is it sounds to me that you're also... Um, advocating for essentially a, a rethinking of the role of the people department, the HR department, yes. which sounds it, it's much, it needs to be much more integrated into the overall organization. Absolutely.
1: I, I think historically the HR department has been seen as non-strategic historically. Right now, especially in the pandemic itself, has helped this, I think, I hope, to put the people agenda, people strategy, much more at the heart of what an organization is really about. And if you think about what are all the broader trends out there in terms of technology change, climate change, I mean, all of these things that we're needing to grapple with being able to respond to that change effectively requires an investment in those people um, at the heart. You need to innovate faster. You need to adapt better to unexpected circumstances so that investment is crucial otherwise as we're saying people are walking out the door to somewhere else it's just a big challenge to to any organization actual lifespan Uh, I I think one of the other predications of this is is that the software itself like the technology itself needs to move quickly as well which it you know uh, tends to it sort of leads in that respect but What what I find is that when it comes to HR technology, there's a real risk that the infrastructure in place in organisations isn't flexible enough. It, It won't change in respond to the changes that the business is facing. You could argue that's broadly true of IT infrastructure overall, but having a more open approach to it, so using tech, using software that is open, that allows you as one organization to make a business decision and, and, and to respond to a business challenge unilaterally. If you have an open source technology stack, the, the sustainable one, then you can do that. It's much harder to do if you're locked into a, say, proprietary platform. And you as an organization are not their priority. (laughs) it doesn't matter what size you are. you, You can face that fact. I think there's a rebalancing there as well. A recognition that a more open approach to the tools that you're using, the software you're using helps you respond better to unexpected change in ways that will give you more control, not, not the software vendor. And that's something we support. That's exactly what we're we're here to do for the HR community in particular.
0: Lars, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I love that we got a chance to dig deep into this particular topic around learning, tap into your expertise on what is relevant, what is important, how do we actually tackle learning, where do we start, what do we need to think about. So Lars, thank you so much. There's so much richness in this conversation and I could have gone on for hours and hours longer, that's for sure. Thank you very, very much for, for agreeing to be on this podcast. This was fantastic.
1: Well, thank you, Pascal. really enjoyed it. And yeah, look forward to another chance to, to speak with you.
0: Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of Disrupt Disruption. If you want more, check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. Also know that this is part of an effort for us writing a book about disruption. So... Uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled towards that and if you liked it do us a favor go on your podcasting platform of choice iTunes Google Play whatever it is and just like this Um, there's some weird algorithm thing which you know if you like it they will like us so do me a favor do that and if you've got any questions any comments anyone I should talk to drop us an email Um, easiest email address for me to reach it sp just the letter p at finet.com with that being said thank you so much for listening and i will hear you here soon